Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the entirety of the How to Train Your Dragon series, culminating with the third release this weekend, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, as well as the expanded release of pages from the WWE's biopic from Stephen Merchant, of all people, Fighting with My Family, and out of nowhere, the Tim Tebow Christploitation movie, Run the Race, which I would describe the plot, but... I don't, I, it's hard to, I'll get into that. Anyway, let's get started. You brought a baby to a battle? I couldn't find a sitter. The hidden world, it really does exist. Now that's a king. You're right, bud. It's time. Well, look who it is! <laughs> Not a word. I've never been too into the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. I know there are a couple of movie. I mean, there's obviously the movies I've seen, but I know there's a bunch of TV shows that spawned from it as well. And I liked the movies as good enough, but I never really got into the franchise. Um... Upon rewatch, they are honestly some of the best from DreamWorks. Uh, you, the first movie, you have Chris Sanders and Dean DeBlois. I want to say that's how you pronounce his last name. Because uh, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it uh, with the French. The Dean DeBlois. Uh, DeBlois um, let me pull him up. I'm pretty sure it's Dean DeBlois, though. Let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, I want to say Deblois, but I could be entirely wrong on that. Let's see if his Wikipedia says different. Hold on. Wait, I, yep, I was right. I, I, I figured it should have been, it, it's probably a French. Deblois. It is Deblois. Oof, that's that's hard to that's hard uh, on my English speaking tongue. De Blois, Dean De Blois. Ugh. Anyway, uh, point yeah. Anyway, Dean De Blois and uh, Chris Sanders, who are be- who are be- who are better known for Lilo and Stitch, went over to DreamWorks uh, to do How to Train Your Dragon, and I haven't heard of the book this is based on, so I can't speak to that, but. Uh, the premise here is that in this fictional Viking land of Berk, uh, they're inundated with dragons, and so the Vikings spend their li- have spent their lives hunting and killing the dragons. And here you have our main protagonist, Hiccup, who is a scrawny, nerdy, main you know, sort of loser kid who wants to try and impress his father. And when he finally gets he finally gets his chance by catching one of the rarest of all the dragon breeds, uh, the Night Fury. And he when he gets his chance to kill it, he couldn't. He could not do it. And instead eventually begins to study it and and essentially tame it, befriend it. Uh 
and give it a name. And so he be- he becomes sort of attached to this dragon and and begins to realize everything that they understood about dragons has been uh, false. The dragons are basically just like any other animal. Once you get to understand their behavior and how they act and how they think and how they, you know, all that sort of stuff, then they're just not like any other animal. And so the main thrust of the first movie is Hiccup coming to terms with not be just not be, realizing he's never going to be able to kill dragons and then eventually hopefully trying to figure out how to convince his fellow vikings that they should that dragons are not the enemy and uh and that all ends with a battle with this monstrous uh queen dragon king dragon uh whatever you want to call it that that's been the reason for the dragons raiding their villages, raiding raiding Burke for all their sheep and food and whatnot, is that they've been feeding this massive dragon. And um I, I really this really is a phenomenal movie. You've got a great score. Like it's kind of odd that the Vikings are Scottish as adults, but you know, because you've got Gerard Butler and Craig Ferguson, uh even the uh why can't it I'm forgetting his name, but he's my favorite doctor, 10th doctor, uh, Dave, David Tennant. I couldn't remember his last name for some reason. Uh, but yeah, David Tennant plays a, plays a minor voice in it as well. So all the, dry, all the fight older Vikings have Scottish accents, but all the kid Vikings have American accents. It's, it's, it's an odd, weird thing. Because you've got Christopher Mintz-Plass and T.J. Miller and um, uh, Jonah Hill and America Ferrara and Kristen Wick as all the kids kid characters and they sound so out of place compared to their scottish adults um you got an amazing score uh it is kind of the accepting who you are and enemies becoming friends these are tropes that have been done that are you know that are consistent throughout throughout especially like kids movies but it's you know it's not so, you're not so focused on the tropes as much because everything around them is amazing. The, the production design, the designs of these dragons, how they behave, how they're like a mixture of cats and birds in a way. Um, yeah, the sort of befri- how they don't like Hiccup and Astrid have a budding romance, but it's not a full on romance uh, until the very until she kind of understands him a little bit more and then you know she's still a a tough badass character but she kind of gets sees where hiccup is coming from and she's not so set on the old ways once she sees what's what what the deal is uh and of course the this entire franchise has been about stakes and how um and and how you know there are consequences for some of these things, and now there is life and death. And here it's you know without you know, I mean spoilers for How to Train Your Dragon the first movie, but Hiccup loses his leg and has to live with a prosthetic for the rest of the franchise. And it kind of ties him to Toothless, who in his capturing of Toothless, he damaged Toothless's tail tail fin and prevented toothless from being able to fly and it's their friendship their trust of one another comes from hiccup helping toothless to uh fly again through the use of a prosthetic and then by the end hiccup shares in that prosthetic with a with a peg leg a metal peg leg 
And then by the end of the movie, Burke has realized, kind of seen exactly what Hiccup was going for, and they've accepted dragons as, like, any other animal. And it's a, it's a really sweet movie. Uh, it's a genuinely good, great movie. Um, and, uh, you know, then when a sequel, when the sequel came out, I initially didn't rate it as high. I not, I'm not sure what my problem was, but upon rewatch, it's actually kind of better than the first movie. Uh, Chris Sanders left, um, and Dean DeBlois, uh, continued on with the franchise and he's kind of been the main, he's been the one continuing on with the franchise to uh, the third one. But in the second one, you've got more mature design, character designs. Like, you can tell that the characters have aged since the last movie. Uh, the animation has gotten significantly better. Uh, the, the You've added more to the universe since they, uh, since uh, Hiccup and the people of Burke have started training dragons to ride like horses. You've now, now you're getting to see like their dragon trappers and people who will cage in dragons and try to use them. There's some guy who wants to have a dragon army to lay waste to humanity. And, uh, hiccup in the big thrust here is hiccup is hesitant to take in his father's role as, um, as the head of the village because he doesn't think he's ready yet, and he doesn't think he's going to be as good as his dad, and he he and while he and he 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 wants to try and keep the peace and use diplomacy, whereas his dad understands that some people you sometimes you have to take up arms and fight, and and it's Hiccup trying to learn these lessons as he goes on, and even and then of course the big twist here is, uh, once again, spoilers for How to Train Your Dragon 2. I won't spoil How to Train Your Dragon 3, but uh, for two, since 2 has been out for a while, and it kind of leads into 3, uh, in 2, they uh, Hiccup finds his mom, who's once again Scottish, and here played by Kate Blanchett, and, um, and so he and his mom, and, he, and that's the thing, his mom is much more like him. She understood that dragons are not monstrous creatures. They're not demons. They're best basically animals. And she has spent the last 20 years kind of befriending and tra and training her dra all these dragons and protecting them from trappers. And then when Hiccup reveals that he can, you know, use this knowledge to try and get some, to talk some sense into the main villain played by Jaman Hansu, uh, even she is just like, oh no, that's a terrible idea. He's never going to, he's never going to do that. You can't, you have to fight him. We have to, no, no. Um, uh, Stoic is like, you have to fight him head on. And his mom, Valka, is like, no, we have to keep the dragons hidden from him because he's dangerous. So they're both like, no, you can't face this guy. You can't talk sense into this guy. He's dangerous. And Hiccup's the old, try, still believing in the idea that, you know, there's a way to talk some sense into this guy and to come to a mutual understanding like he did with the dragons and like he showed with the people of Burke. And so, and that's the, and it's him realizing that that's not going to be the case. Uh, you've got more, all new species of dragons. And, of course, the stakes continue because, spoiler alert for How to Train Your Dragon 2, Stoic is killed by Toothless, and uh, after um, after uh, Drago, the German uh, Hansu character, over you know takes over the dragon horde by killing the old Alpha that Volca was that Volca had been living with, and uh, using the powers of the Alpha Dragon to compel Toothless to try and kill Hiccup, and Stoic took the took the blast instead.
And so uh, it then the climax then becomes uh, to, uh, Hiccup trying to help Toothless overcome the power the power that Alpha Dragons hold over over the other dragons and fight back. And the ending kind of goes into some shonen anime BS. Like there's a pow- like it, it, it like here's the thing. Uh, Toothless essentially goes Super Saiyan. Like that's a th- that's a like a, the big the big climax. Uh, they don't they kind of hint at it a bit, so it's not like out of completely out of nowhere. But the power level that we're dealing with once uh, Toothless goes Super Saiyan is is completely out of nowhere. And it's like whoa 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 wait he can just go Super Saiyan now? And then uh, Tooth and then Hiccup and Toothless essentially take. Step into the roles of being the heads of their people. Hiccup as the leader of the village in the wake of his father's death. And Toothless as the new alpha for the dragons. And that's what leads us into uh, the hidden world, which drops the numbering for some reason. And goes straight for the subtitle. For I don't know why. I don't know why that's a thing now. But yeah, Dean de Blois uh, took, has taken, um, you know, uh, the writer director position for this one as well. He's continued onward. He's been kind of like the main uh, connecting point between all three, even after Chris Sanders left after the first one. But uh, a year has passed since How to Train Your Dragon Two, and Hiccup is kind of building. It has been building extensions onto uh, Burke and adopting more and more dragons to protect them from trappers, and it's ultimately made them a target of this. Of this movie's villain, played by F. Murray Abraham, who is wanting to exterminate the dragons in order to, you know, bring true peace. Because he figures humans and dragons can't live, can't coexist. Because dragons are monsters and too dangerous. And unfortunately, because Hiccup has brought so many dragons and has the alpha on Burke, he's made Burke a target of... These dragon trappers who in, who enlist F. Murray Abraham's character, who I've completely forgotten. Um, Antragon Dragon, the, sh- the Hidden World. Uh, the character's name is Grimmel. And he, once he learns that, um, uh, that there's another Night Fury left, he wants to try and kill it. Because that's been his main goal. And he is very conniving and... He, he, everything kind of, he plans on everything so far ahead. He's always like one step ahead of the other characters and everything they do falls exactly into his plan. And it's not as convoluted as say like the Joker in the Dark Knight, but it's definitely like if he, he, as long as what happens goes as he predicted, everything works perfectly for him. And then, and so he enlists a Light Fury, which is a female albino Night Fury, and as much as that's like, oh god, they're throwing in love interests for for the dragons now. It's like, it, yeah, it that that was kind of that was kind of cringeworthy when it came up in the initial trailers, and it's like, oh no, that's going to be a thing. But in all honesty, the the mating dance scene that was teased at in the trailers, that's honestly one of the best scenes in the whole movie. So the Light Fury plotline actually plays out better than you would think given this sort of given this sort of uh introduction having a having a new uh, love interest and it plays into the overall theme of the movie which is you know 
at what point do you give up something when you love and let them go their own, be their own person? And you know, how much do you hold on to them and make sure they're part of your life? And what's and what's the healthier option? Like, is it healthy to hold on to someone even if what you're even if doing so puts you both in danger and make you know is ultimately unsafe? Or do you let go of somebody that you love and be let them be their own? You know, let them be themselves and be there, do that, live their own life away from you. It's a very, it, you know, it's a very hard, it's a very heartbreaking sort of choice to make because, you know, it's hiccup trying to realize what he, what should he do with Toothless and should he hold on to Toothless when Toothless ha- is it, has, he has the chance to, con- you know, repopulate his species and be with a, and and they and they make sure to emphasize that night furies make for life. So will he deny his dragon the chance to not only repopulate his species in a way, but also um, start you know start to repopulate his species and make sure that they're not just the two of them left, but also just be be himself, be be the true alpha of the hidden world, which is where the dragons kind of have lived in perpetuity. You know, that's where most of the dragons live before they leave and go enter the regular world. And it becomes a big, it becomes a major driving point of the movie of what's the best, but what's the best choice all while being threatened by Grimmel, who has been hunting not only the night fury, but wanting to help these, help these uh, trappers could to lead them to the massive dragon, population that hiccup has collected by saving so many dragons and i gotta say it it honestly is dreamworks's toy story 3 in that it culminated the entire experience into a perfect ending and i really hope that dreamworks does it. i like i mentioned this in um the trailer talk for when toy story 4 played before the movie itself but I would love. It would be an amazing power move for DreamWorks to be like when if Toy Story continues onward into like Toy Story Seven, long after all the other actors that voice actors have died and they're all replaced by soundalikes. It would be a, an amazing power move for DreamWorks to be like, "Hey, remember when we had a trilogy and we just ended it when we felt it was right? It had the perfect ending note and we stopped." Yeah. How about that? That would be an amazing power move on their part. But yeah, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World um, is a beautiful, heartbreaking, just absolutely touching movie. And it's the perfect ending to this franchise. And I kind of hope they just leave it here. Like, they can continue on doing movie, like, TV shows that take place... Like, most of the TV shows have taken place between one and two. So if they want to do TV shows that take place between the movies, that's fine. I want them. This is too perfect of an ending to to muck up by trying to continue forward. I think the only way now is to maybe do prequels or tell more backstory or fill in the gaps between the movies. But this is the end point. This is where you end it. This is where it stops. That's that's what I feel like is the best is the best uh, course of action for DreamWorks. But yeah, all all three movies are five star movies they're just absolutely amazing best dreamworks has had to offer so if you haven't yet go check it out page i myself have come from a wrestling family too i know exactly what it means to you so don't worry about being the next me be the first you we're all with you darling i love you rob rob 
I, I love you too. <laughs> I love your accent. Thank you. So sexy. I am so jealous of you right now. <laughs> I'm honestly not that big a fan of wrestling. Um, I was never big into it growing up. I think I was always kind of one of those kids who was like, wrestling is so fake. He, I was one of those pretentious snobs. Uh, who thought wrestling just because it was fake and not and it was all story driven and it was all a far, it was all you know fictional that it's like uh, it, I don't get it it's just a bunch of macho dudes uh, slamming into each other with a with a fake melodrama behind it but that's kind of the point and as I've become an adult and I've been friends with people who absolutely adore wrestling I kind of understand why why they do and I. And this kind of emphasized that point even more. Here you have Stephen Merchant, of all people, the voice of... Um, I can't remember his character's name in Portal 2. Uh, Wheatley. The voice of Wheatley in Portal 2. He was, uh, he's been a co- he was a co-host of the Ricky Gervais show, and he was on the, uh, the, in the UK office. He's been a long-standing British comedian, and here he teamed up with The Rock to tell the story of Paige, who was... Uh, uh, who's the youngest Divas champion in WWE history and kind of brought in this resurgence in, fe- you know, in, po- in popularity and in respect for the, for the, for female wrestlers in the WWE. And it goes into her backstory, which is basically that she was the daughter of two wrestling fans who was, whose sons got really into wrestling. And so by 13, she kind of start. She kind of started getting into it as well, and they became a family wrestling unit. And when her and her brother Zach get the chance to audition for the WWE, they t- they go for it. But only Paige is allowed to go forward, and it's because it becomes a story of like, what you know, does is this what she really wants, or is she doing it? just for the family who is kind of exploiting her in a way and her brother hates her because he's so jealous of her getting to go forward and not him and Paige kind of not fitting in with the other wrestlers because like all the other wrestlers are former models former cheerleaders but they're all very athletic and she kind of judges them harshly at first and she kind of alienates herself and she just makes it makes the training miserable and Eventually, it becomes her realizing what it is she is, is this the dream that she really wants, and then culminating with, in conjunction with the actual live action footage of her reveal in the in uh, in uh, WWE, I think uh, Wrestle. I don't think it was Wrestle. I'm not sure if it was WrestleMania or not, but it was about 2010, 2011, 2012, something like that. And it's the actual fight with the then Divas Champion AJ Lee and. It was Paige kind of not sure, and it was Paige's, like, big breaking moment in the WWE at that point. And uh, it it cuts back and forth between uh, the actress playing Paige. I mistakenly assumed that was Paige playing herself this whole time. But no, it's an actress. Uh, I forget her name. I'm a bit... uh, distracted this morning i had i had a lot of problems uh technical problems with the with um 
with uh, with my microphone with GarageBand. So I had a, I'm a bit behind on when I wanted to get done, so I'm not as prepared. But uh, Florence Pugh, who is kind of a new newer actress, like she was in Outlaw King as Elizabeth DeBerg, and she made her debut in The Falling in 2014. She was the star of Lady Macbeth in 2016, and she and so she plays uh Paige and she uh, and honestly when you see when they cut between the actual WrestleMania footage and Florence Pugh uh in like reenacting the fight it's almost impossible to tell the difference it's that close of a resemblance and she brings real like she is the driving point of this movie you watching Florence as Paige really drives home just how just the just the problems that Paige had growing up of being a being part of a wrestling family being the one to finally break out and not sure if that's even what you want to do with your life because it's making you miserable and then reach finally reaching your goal that you've had since you were 13 you know she shared this goal with her family but only she was the one that had the had the opportunity to achieve it and she finally did becoming the youngest WWE Divas champion at 21 so you've got this family pressure coming in from Nick Frost who's her dad and um Lena Headey who plays her mom and they're both amazing uh Jack Loudon yeah Jack Loudon plays her brother and he does a good job of tra- capturing uh, just how, just, you know, that sort of disappointment and, and vitriol and just, you know, really, uh, really just hate that you feel when you feel like your dream has been taken from you. And, uh, he was last seen as Lord Darnley, the, uh, love interest, uh, in, uh, Mary Queen of Scots. So he's, so he's, uh, kind of gone from theater to, like, he started off doing, like, he's an Olivier Award winner. He was in a production of Chariots of Fire, uh, Ibs, Hen- Henrik Ibsen's Ghosts. Uh, and then he eventually moved on to BBC miniseries, and then now he's in movies. So, I mean, this is a guy who is, uh, you know, also on the rise. And he was fun- he was excellent as this kid who just wanted to see his dream met, and he's not getting the chance to. And... It also showcases the history of wrestling, how, you know, especially like that, that early 2000s, um, ah, what was it called? I forget what the era was called, but, you know, that was the era of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was the one that bled into uh, Celebrity Deathmatch as well. Um, I forget what that era of wrestling was called. But, yeah, uh, you see them loving that, loving Amer- loving the WWE and wrestling, and it's... You see how Paige, and then it all ends with, uh, and in the credits, by showing interviews with the actual parents, with the actual um, uh, Ricky, Ricky, uh, Ricky Knight, who was her, her dad, who, who actually has less facial hair than Nick Frost does in the movie. But uh, you also see the uh, Sor- Sweet Soraya, uh, her, uh, Paige's mom. And you see the actual Zach Zach Bevis, um, and, and you see all these characters, and you see all these people, and you see and you see just how much the movie does try to capture them, and it's it's it really is this 
touching tribute to why people love uh, the WWE and they love professional wrestling because it is it is it is a soap opera. It is a soap opera from the writing aspect, but what but the thing that people love about soap operas is the melodrama, is you know those storylines. They they catch people's interest and and when you see and and then when you hear stories like this one where you see this see the see Paige's life story played out, you absolutely get the whole the the uh you get the drive to want to be a part of this and it really is a, a a solid movie i will i would say uh how to train your dragon 3 is my pick of the week but this is an excellent movie that you should check out if if you get the chance it is even if you don't love wrestling it's an excellent movie it has a great dry wit about it and you get to, and this family dynamic is the driving force of the movie i mean there's a reason that's why it's the title but it is uh it, it it is something worth seeing in theaters. I absolutely believe that. I believe in the plan. And I believe in you. God does love you. He loves you like crazy. I guess uh going on three years in, I'm kinda of predictable at this point. When it comes to movies like this, but I really didn't like this movie. This is my unpop kernel of the week, and yeah, I'm sorry. It's it, it, I, I feel like I always have to preface my reviews by saying this has nothing to do with the fact that it's religious, because a movie being religious doesn't make it bad. These are just bad movies, and um, yeah. The, the whole the fact that the selling point is Tim Tebow produced it doesn't help either because Tim Tebow never caught my attention. Like there's a reason he never stuck it in the NFL because he wasn't good enough. And so to have his name attached just says to me we don't. It's not about quality. It's about name recognition of a famous Christian person, famous Christian celebrity attached his name to this movie. That's all it says to me, you know, and. Yeah, this is this is I'm I'm surprised it took this long, but this is our first Christ exploitation movie of the year. And I'll say this. It's nowhere near as offensive as the stuff from Pure Flix. Pure Flix is pure exploitation. This is lighter Christ exploitation in that it's not as explo- it's not as exploitive, but it is exploitive because the main driving point is Jeebus. Jeebus is the main driving point. And it's the only, and rap critic put it best when he was talking about NF. The first, he, the first time he reviewed NF was, and he talked about Christian rap and why, why he didn't care for it. Um, namely because when you have the answer to all your life's problems and all of life's problems, you make boring content. When you have the, an- when the answer is there and you've already chosen it. Then where is the drama? Where is the pathos? Where is the drive? If the answer is always Jesus, where does the drama come in? And that's why stories about crisis of faith are more interesting. But Christian movies, the crisis is never true because that because it always comes back to Jesus. If we didn't know whether or not they would continue, like if, like that's the thing. 
when you're watching Doubt or Philomena, at any point you could see one of these characters losing their faith. Whether or not they keep it is a driving point of the narrative. Here, you know, you know for a fact that they're going to end up being Christian by the end. Because that is the point of the movie, that they are placating to their audience. That's why Christploitation movies don't interest me, because they don't worry about true narrative structure and true drama and what makes a good story. They worry about making sure that the people in the pews feel feel like they got their heads patted on. It's like, it, yep, you made the right choice. Good for you. Good for you. And it's literal preaching to the choir. So how can I review that critically if all it's doing is just placating to its audience? And plenty of movies placate to their audiences without, a you know, and still manage to tell a good story. Here, movies like this don't tell good stories. And if you watch, um, if you check out my Twitter, at uh, Corn Junkie Pod, I did a munch along, and you could see the madness that I had to endure with this movie. It, it like true Christploitation fashion, uh, it does, it is absolutely bananas to witness. And so if you want some, some weird nuggets of like, going of like feeling like you're losing your mind watching something check that out well look for the hashtag munch along as well um but yeah this is there are some legit actors in here mario van peebles filmmaker and actor in his own right is playing the pastor in a really throwaway role um who are the other ones like the we're talking like legit named actors that people would recognize Run the race. Also, that's a terrible title. Run the race. Okay. Or, you know, what? like, shouldn't it be something to tie into, I don't know, Jesus? Like, you know, you know, the, you know, race, you know, something, something tying into heaven or belief or something? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what, oh, wow, the Wikipedia page is, like, almost empty. Anyway, uh... Yeah, the other one, the other main actors are, uh, the other actors you might recognize are McKelty Williamson, uh, oh, Michael T. It's literally his first, his first, his first name and middle initial as a name, Michael T. (laughs) That's actually kind of cool. That's interesting. Uh, but he's best known for playing Bubba in Forrest Gump initially, and then he has since gone on to Boomtown, Tony Ford, Justified. He was in the film adaptation of Fences, uh, uh, Lucky Number Slevin, Three Kings, Black Dynamite, ATL, The Purge Election Year. So this is a dude who's been continually working. Uh, but he has probably, he probably made his, he was in the Streets of Fire? My mom loves that movie. Uh, but he was, he's best known initially for being Bubba in Forrest Gump. And, uh, he was also in Free Willy and waiting to exhale he was in a tv tv movie version of 12 angry men this is a very accomplished actor and here he's simply playing the coach like he has a it's a thankless role but you know what i don't begrudge him or mario van peebles or the woman playing like the the caretaker maternal you know matriarchal figure of the kids in the movie francis fisher uh she 
uh, has been in a bunch of stuff. House of Sand and Fog, Laws of Attraction, The Kingdom, Jolene, Lincoln Lawyer, The Host, the uh, Stephanie Myers movie. She's been on TV. The Valley of, in the Valley of Elah from back in 2007, Unforgiven. So, I mean, she's been an actress who's worked in theater, television, film. And once again, she's kind of slumming it in this really thankless role. But I don't begrudge these actors for taking a role because a, a role is a role, whether the movie's good or not. But yeah, these are the, the rest of the, the rest, those are the only actors aside from Christopher Paloa, who plays the dad, that actually have uh, Wikipedia articles dedicated to them. And I never heard of Christopher Paloa. I'm not as familiar with him, but he's he's at least big enough to have a, a Wikipedia page. All the other na- main actors, the ones playing the main characters, they might as well not even exist according to, you know to Wikipedia. Neither do the uh, producers or the directors or writers. The people, the filmmakers, don't might as well not even exist. Their film company, Reserve Entertainment, might as well not even exist to Wikipedia. They're that inconsequential. Uh, and yeah, the mo- so is the movie ultimately because like these actors are not very good. And like even Christopher, I don't know if Christopher Paloa, um, if it's his, if it's his limitations as an actor, or if it's the director's fault for not being able to direct him well, or telling him not to go too stereotypical or something. But he's supposedly a drunk, deadbeat dad. He never seems that drunk in the movie. Like he'll take swigs, and there's one scene where he's laying on top of his what his his dead wife's grave. By the way, this is a complete tragedy porn, too, because, oh, the mom died of cancer. Someone else had ovarian cancer and couldn't give birth to children. And one dude has constant seizures from brain damage caused on by football. And then the main character, you know, tears his ACL in a fight and can't run and can't play football anymore. And the dad's a drunk. And it's and it's just it's so superficial. It's like. These are clearly sad. It's not. It doesn't really forward the narrative as much as just be there to be like, oh my god, isn't it so sad? That's so sad. It's so wonderful that they still have their love of Jesus. Yeah, that's the whole. And that's the whole point of the movie is that the Jesus solves everything. Even though it teases. Like, here's the thing: Christian movies will tease. Uh, well, I should say Christ exploitation, not specifically Christian movies. But yeah, Christploitation movies love to tease at the problem of evil, which is a constant issue when it comes to um, religion, and specifically the Abrahamic religions, and specifically Christianity more than anything else. Christianity has had to deal with the problem of evil throughout its existence and as a majority religion. And th- Christian movies, specifically Christploitation movies, and especially those from like Pure Flicks, will tease at answering the problem of evil and then just brush it under the rug it's like i like the in, in this movie uh the main the main the main kid uh is at his girlfriend's parents house who are who are super religious and they and he brings up the problem of evil and her dad is just like yeah i was like that as a kid too and then i found jesus and and um, and then all my answers were solved and like the kid Throughout the movie, who clearly looks like he's in his mid-20s and supposed to be in high school, 
and yet never attends any classes, only plays football, and then go and then spends most of his time living in in the in the boonies of this small Florida town, which, which is another thing. I get that people in more rural communities love their small towns, and I know that's a big driving force in like country music is the praise of the small town and small town life. That's nice. And I don't begrudge that. Cause I know there are small towns around Akron that, that that take pride in their town. And it's and that's not a bad thing. Taking pride in the city and the town where you live and making it the best town it can be in your eyes is not a bad thing. This town is dilapidated and falling apart and it spends Five montages showing how broken and and dying this town is. And we're supposed to take pride in it? Like, we're supposed to care that the town is falling apart and it, it, it's just its old rustic charm that everyone, that people used to live here and miraculously somehow they still do. What? What what is the point of all this? Because all it makes me think is, why not just you live in the you live in the boonies? Why not just take what you have, throw it in your in your broken down car, and just move like a couple towns over to one that's not falling apart? I know that I know that like take whatever money you have, pull it all together, and just go a couple towns over. You don't have to go to a big city like Jackson. This is in Florida, so you can't. Don't have to go to like Jacksonville or any uh, any other beach town. But just get to a town that's not falling apart. <sighs> so yeah, this this whole thing is just a haphazard hot mess of not knowing what story it wants to tell, other than Jesus. All it knows is it doesn't have a real compelling story. It's just like everything, it, the driving force of this movie is Jesus. And yeah, Tim T, and I think that's all Tim Tebow cared about because he sure as hell doesn't care about the freaking story or the characters other than the fact that it's about Jesus. Sign me up. This is a complete waste of time that has no understanding of how real drama works. And that's the main problem I have with Christploitation movies as a whole. They don't, they either neglect actual drama or they have no comprehension of how to make compelling drama because all they end up doing is just making wastes of your time that just talk about Jesus. It's basically like going to a really boring church service and that's what it felt like and I, I, I wish I could get that time back but I can't. And i just telling you, save your time, save your money, unless you're going to go in with a bunch of friends and, and get drunk and tear it apart and have fun with it like a, as a bad movie night. Go ahead. But otherwise, just, just skip this. You can do better than this. We can all do better than this. All right. Well, that's all the reviews for this week. So when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Oscars and the Razzies that happened this weekend. So we're going to talk about the big winners. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, 
and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us living in the stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. All right, we're going to be talking about the Oscars first, since those are the main main award show this this weekend, and then we'll go cut back over to the Razzies, which happened on Saturday. Uh, so i I didn't get a chance I didn't get a chance to see how it played out without a host. I'm assuming it went fairly well because that way you didn't have somebody just kind of butting in time and again. You could just focus on the awards themselves, which I feel like is a better option, ultimately. Unless you have an idea in mind of what kind of show you want to put on, I think going without a host is is fine. Is a fine choice, ultimately. But, um... Yeah, it's, uh... Yeah, it, I, I didn't get a chance to see the uh, ceremony as, as since I was at work, but uh, I did, you know, I, I, I did get a chance to follow along who was winning the night. And I was, and so I was watching, and so I'll, to go back, I'm cutting back to uh, about, what is it, three episodes ago, three weeks ago, to uh, when, I, when I discussed the nominations. And for, and so I'm going to go category by category. I wish I could do this, like... Is there a way I can open this in a new window so I can look at both at the same time? Let me see. Pin note, lock note, move to, new note. I don't want that. I want to look at this in a new window. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'll just copy my predictions and my picks into... Uh, like a word in like a word document, and then I can look at them both side by side. Okay, yeah, man. Look at where there we go. All right, and we want new. All right. So there's my there there were my there are my choices for the nominees. Now let's take a look at the winners. All right, we're gonna go. Uh, not I'm not gonna go by the big uh, winner. I'm not gonna go in or in order of delivery. I'm probably gonna just go from the uh, from bottom to top. So I'm gonna start with screenplays, and I'm gonna end on uh, best picture. So for screenplay, uh, the original uh, my pick was for the favorite, but my prediction was for Green Book, and lo and behold, yeah, Green Book won. Green Book was a big winner that night, and I feel like that's going to be in 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 probably sooner than Crash because Crash was one of the other ones that they thought they're patting themselves on the back for dealing with race issues, and when you actually watch the movie, it's a load of garbage. 
So I think Green Book is going to be another one of those cases where it's like the Academy really screwed up, especially when we talk about the other nominees. I'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, my pick was for the favorite, which didn't win anything that night. And and uh, it ultimately went to Green Book, which I feel is completely undeserved. Anyway, uh, best adapted screenplay. My pick was for Black Klansman or if Beale Street Could Talk. But I no, and then my prediction was going to be either A Star Is Born or Can You Ever Forgive Me. It actually went to Black Klansman. Spike Lee and his and his uh, writers won at least one thing for Black Klansman that night. And I think that, I think that was a good. I think that was good for them because they definitely deserve that. Uh, best visual effects. Uh, my pick was for Infinity War, but my prediction was for First Man. Academy. You know, it surprised me on Black Klansman, but I definitely. But my prediction for original screenplay and visual effects just completely played into their hands. That they, they're a bit. They're pretty predictable. Sound mixing and editing. My picks were for A Quiet Place for editing and A Star is Born for mixing. Uh, my prediction for editing was First Man, and my prediction for mixing was Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody took both. Bohemian Rhapsody took both sound awards that night. And, yeah, that's kind of predictable, ultimately. That one's another crowd pleaser where it's like, it's not as good as people think it is. not as good. I think people are just thrown off because it's Queen music and Queen is amazing. So I think that's the only thing. Uh, live action short. My prediction was for skin or detainment. The winner was skin. So I kind of caught, saw that coming. But uh, best animated short, my pick was for One Small Step, but my prediction was for Bao. And Bao did win best animated short, so I'm not too disappointed. There was another fantastic animated short. Uh, best Best production design, my pick was for Black Panther, but my prediction was for either The Favorite or Mary Poppins Returns. And production design went to Black Panther. So once again, the one I picked won and not my prediction. So I'm I, I'm good with that. I am very happy with that. Uh best original song my pick was for the Shallow from A Star is Born, but my predict and my prediction was either that or uh Where the Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins and Shallow won. Like, yeah, that one that one was the best song to come out this year. That whole soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh, best original score. My prediction was for Mary Poppins Returns, but it actually went to Black Panther again. Black Panther won a lot of the technical awards, uh, which was good for it. And uh, yeah, but, so yeah, Black Panther won best original score, which is which is great. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling. My pick was for either Border. My pick was for Border. My prediction was for Vice, and Vice did end up winning. So you know, once again, some of these are as I predicted because the Academy is really predictable. But some of these are did surprise me, which is good. Uh, best foreign language film, my prediction was Roma, and it did. It won best foreign language. Uh, best film editing, my pick was for Black Klansman. My prediction was Bohemian Rhapsody or Vice, and even though it's not uh, clearly not the best editing, Bohemian Rhapsody did win best film editing. Uh, I I really think that should have gone to Black Klansman ultimately. Uh, best documentary short. Uh, my prediction was for A Night at the Garden. It actually went to period, end of sentence. So, good for them. Uh, best documentary feature, my prediction was for RBG. It went to Free Solo. So, apparently that's one I have to check out. Because if if, it, if the Academy thought that one was better over than placating to, you know, the liberal Hollywood elite with uh, a documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it must be, it must be a really good one. Uh, best director... 
Oh, no, uh, Best Cinematography. Let's go. Uh, best Cinematography, my pick was for The Favorite, and my prediction was for The Favorite. It, it actually went to Roma. So I think Quaron was in charge of the cinematography there as well. So he won for that as, as well as uh, Best Foreign Language Film. Best Costume Design, my pick was for Black Panther. My prediction was for The Favorite. Black Panther won that one again. So Black Panther was winning, uh, was doing really good on the technical awards. Uh, best Animated Film, this one, this one was was interesting. My pick was for Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, but I... I, but, but my prediction was it was going to go to Disney, Disney and Pixar. It, they surprised me by giving it to Spider-Man, which is good because that was the best animated movie to come out last year, bar none. So, yeah, congratulations to them. They all deserve it. Uh, I think that's all the yeah, live-action shorter cover, documentary, costume design, cinematography, animated. Yep. All right. Now one to the big awards. Best director. My pick was for Spike Lee, but my prediction was for Adam McKay. It actually went to Alfonso Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron won his second director, directing Oscar. I think he won it uh, 2015 for for directing uh, Gravity last time. So, yeah, he's a two-time Academy Award winning director. And he won a bunch. And, then of course, the cinematography and the uh, foreign language film. So Roma got a lot of good attention last night. That's good. Uh, best actress, best actress in a supporting role, the first award of the night. My pick was for Rachel Weisz. My prediction was for Amy Adams. They actually went along with the Golden Globes and gave it to Regina King for if Beale Street could talk. So I need to check that movie out too. I, I, I when it comes out on video, I'm gonna check it out because it's it it's it sounded like it it could have been a real contender for uh, my top of the year list. Best actor in a supporting role. My pick was for Marshall Ali or Adam Driver. My prediction was Marshall Ali. Lo and behold, Marshall Ali won. Um, best actor, in, best actress in a leading role. My pick was for Olivia Coleman, and that was my prediction. And Olivia Coleman won. So yeah, once again, the Oscars are pretty predictable once you know their voting patterns. Uh, my best, best actor in a leading role. Uh, my pick was for Christian Bale. My prediction was for either him or Rami Malek. And this time it was it was Rami Malek, um, which once again kind of coincides with the Golden Globe because Rami Malek won for best uh, drama, while Christian Bale won for best comedy in a lead actor in a leading role. And then the big big winner that night, my pick for best picture was either Black Panther or Black Klansman, the two of the ones that actually dealt with race issues from a black person's perspective. My prediction was either going to be Bohemian Rhapsody or Green Book because those were the real crowd pleasers. Green Book won Best Picture of twenty of twenty eighteen. If you want good commentary on that, there are pl- I would suggest looking to Black Film Twitter or other or if to find other Black film critics and Black filmmakers, people who are people who can bring their own perspective to that. I will only echo their sentiments in that this is a white dude's perspective on race. When you had a black man's perspective on race through Black Klansmen. You went with the white dude's perspective on race. And a placating, middle-of-the-road, stereotypical, Driving Miss Daisy remake, you went with that over the actual actual one that is the black man's voice. This is why people still have problems with the Oscars. This is the kind of crap they pull. You know, this is... I won't say this is as offensive as Crash... Because I know Crash is really terrible. Uh, 
in retrospect. And the fact that that one best picture over anything else that year was was a bad was a bad was a bad sign. Here it is it is it is a bad look when you want to when you want to say be more race race inclusive and yet the best picture when given the choice between Spike Lee's uh uh, latest movie dealing with racism in America and Black Panther, which is a superhero's take on race in America and racism across the world and the relationship between African-Americans and Africa. You went with the white dudes talking about where the white dude who, who played up his dad as teaching a concert pianist about quote unquote real black culture. Yeah, Green Book is 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 a really bad written badly written story. And I was telling my parents, I was talking with my parents over the weekend. Uh we were having a family dinner uh to celebrate a uh birthday. And we were talking about since the Oscars were this weekend, uh my dad was actually talking about how he had seen so many of the Oscar movies up until the 2010s. He'd seen every best picture winner up until the 2010s. And um my mom was asking me about Green Book because she hadn't seen it yet, and I told her it. I told them. I told them both. It was essentially Driving Miss Daisy in the 21st century, and that the actors were good. The storyline is basically playing up the importance of this guy's father over the much more interesting character, which was the gay black concert pianist, classically trained concert pianist, living in the 60s in the in America. That's who the focus of the movie should have been, but it but the dude wanted to write about how great his daddy was, and yet and everybody patted him on the back for how great of a movie he wrote. When in fact, when the fact of the matter is, he's actually a piece of garbage as well. On top of that, not only is the not only is Peter Farrelly a uh, misogynistic and really abusive kind of guy, it turned out apparently, yeah, apparently he's. Got got roped into the Me Too movement as well because apparently he's that kind of dude. But let's not forget that the dude who wrote this movie is a massive Islamophobe and bigot, and they're praising him for writing a movie that, and then given and then thinking they can brush it off by also giving the award to the practicing Muslim actor. Yeah, the, the practicing Muslim actor who played the who played the supporting character, the supporting character. In the movie. This is why... That's, and that's, that's not just a problem with the Oscars. That's a problem in the industry as a whole. The industry has a real problem. The in, instead of... We started with Oscars so white. We should talk about how Hollywood so white. Hollywood is not as diverse as it should be. And problems like this would, would stop arising as often... If the higher parts of higher echelons of Hollywood were more diverse, because it's mostly rich white dudes in making talking about this sort of stuff and making these sorts of decisions, nothing all that much is not all that much has changed, and it's only when those kind of people go that we start to see real change. Anyway, that was that's my thoughts on the Oscars. I couldn't see the ceremony, so I don't know about that. But a lot of my predictions came true, and the ones that didn't, like I'm glad that Black Panther. Won the won some of the bet someone some of the technical awards original score deserved it costume and production design deserved it Black Klansman at least won something that night even though I shouldn't I think it should have gone for best picture honestly uh, of the nominees that would have been my pick for best picture uh, 
as far as like film goes. But I probably would have voted for Black Panther just because I feel like that one placates more to my interests. But I think I've, uh, if I think beyond my own personal interest and my own personal stake, Black Klansman is the one to pick. That's what should have won this year. But the Oscars are completely predictable, folks. They may surprise you from time to time, but they are wholly predictable. All right. Moving on to the Razzies. Uh, we take a look at the nominees. Uh, my pick for uh, worst screenplay was for Death of a Nation. Uh, and it was my prediction was either that or Happy Time Murders. It went to Fifty Shades Freed, ultimately. So at least that got some notoriety from the Razzies. Uh, worst director, my pick was for Ethan Cohen. My prediction was for Brian Henson because I thought they were, with all the nominations for Happy Time Murders, I thought they were, that was going to run the night. But no, Holmes and Watson took away most of the wins from the night. Eaton, Eaton Cohen uh, won Worst Director. Uh, worst Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel. My pick was for Death of a Nation, and so was my prediction. I thought that was also going to be a big thing for the night. If it's either Happy Time Murders or the Donald Trump sort of thing. Donald Trump and that whole then his administration won a bunch of stuff from the Razzies, which feels very disingenuous. And, but uh, Worst Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel was Holmes and Watson. Uh, worst on-screen combo, my pick was for John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. My prediction was for either Donald Trump or Happy Time Murders. It went to Donald Trump and his self-perpetuating pettiness. Worst supporting actress, uh, my prediction was for Jazz Sinclair. My, my pick was Jazz Sinclair. My prediction was for Kellyanne Conway or Melania Trump, because I, and I was right, it went to Kellyanne Conway. Worst supporting actor, my pick was for Ludacris, because I think that should have been, I think Show Dogs' awfulness should have been recognized. My prediction was for either Jamie Foxx or Justice Smith. It actually went to John C. Riley. So, yeah, that's the, <laughs> some some surprises on my end. Uh, worst actor, uh, my pick was for Bruce Willis. My prediction was Donald Trump. It went to Donald Trump. My actress, my pick was for Amber Heard. My prediction was for Melissa McCarthy. It went to Melissa McCarthy. Uh... I didn't write down who the redeemer was, but actually Melissa McCarthy, I think the only reason she won actress was so she could also win the Razzie Redeemer Award for also being in Can You Ever Forgive Me? I feel like that's the only reason she got the worst actress was so that she could, unless she won it before, I feel like that's the only reason she was she won that award. And then worst picture. My pick was for Gotti. My prediction was for Holmes and Watson. It went to Holmes and Watson. Holmes and Watson swept the Razzies. And I don't, and it's not unholy deserved. Here's my thing, though. The Razzies are, should be about bad movies. And by making it about politics, you show, you're showing your hand a bit. You're showing that you don't really care about bad movies in general. You just want to be a troll. And you're a terrible troll at that because you suck at it. This is not, a, this is not how a good troll operates. And ultimately, it degrades the Razzies by piling on to the Donald Trump hate train. Because even though I am on that train, seeing him try to jump onto the train after it's already left the station feels like, feels disingenuous. Because, dude, what took, like, really? This, this what happened before? Like, like, you, and like, that's the thing. The guys behind the, the guy behind the Razzies can hate Trump all he wants. Hate or love Trump. I, you know, if he loves Trump, it, it definitely uh, gets, shows a bit more about his personality. But even if he hates Trump, Trump had no business being in the Razzies. His administration had no business being in Razzies, let, let alone pulling of the favorite 
and having the supporting actress be not two nominations from his administration, one being his wife, the first lady, and the other being his, I guess, speaker, his, his uh, spokeswoman, something. I don't know what Kellyanne Conway even does, but the fact that so much of his administration was nominated for Razzie Awards is stupid because that's not that why are people from documentaries being nominated as actors that's not an actor that's not acting people from documentary page from the wwe when fighting with my family came on was a documentary didn't get nominated as an actress for being in the documentary that's not how the nomination process works it just feels like he really wanted to tap into everybody hates Trump. So, hey, Trump won a Razzie. And it's like, wow, that's so tacky. That is, talk about petty. That's petty. That's tacky. That's, that is, that shows that you ultimately, it, this ultimately is a joke. I mean, even though the Razzies are a joke awards show, that just shows that you have no real idea of what it is that you even want it to be. That just shows that it's like, what joke can I make and still be considered, and, and people will laugh. It's a really hacky comedian trying to make fun of the Oscars or the Golden Globes or the actual award show process. Whereas a good comedian would know how to do it and honor bad movies. Here, he just wanted to jump on the Donald Trump hate train. And my dude, that's not your lane. Stay, stay in your lane. Make fun of bad movies. You don't need to hate on Trump. The rest of us can handle that. We didn't need the Razzies to take Donald Trump down a peg. As if that would even do anything. It, like it, as Even though I, I don't like Trump, I don't need the Razzies to also show that they don't like Trump. Because the Razzies are not a legitimate award show. Even as... Even as funny, like, even if, like, The Daily Show gave out awards, I don't need them to placate to me. I don't need to ha- be like, hey, isn't this funny? We're, wouldn't you think that? Hey, he's worst actor, right? No, there were worse actors in in film this entire year. But you spent so much of your energy dragging on the current administration, you completely left the concept of making fun of bad movies. This isn't about the movies anymore. So the Razzies are just completely off the rails at this point. Why even bother having them if you're not going to have a, a, an idea of what it is that you want from them? So, yeah. Um, the, Razzies are ba- the Razzies are just as bad as the movies that they're making fun of. And unless somebody who is... Like, that's the thing. I've gone into the backstory a bit. But yeah, the Brazzies were created by a hack comedian who's not all that funny to begin with and will be gone as a hack awards show. So if some, once once that guy leaves and a better comedian... If Patton Oswalt or like Paul F. Tompkins or a you know, comedian, maybe David Cross, I'm not sure who the real films... I know Patton Oswalt specifically. But, uh, or um, the, the people from uh, how, did, how Did This Get Made? Uh... Jason Mantoukas, uh, Jude and Diane Raphael, and Paul Shear. Like, if comedians who love film were the ones picking these, I would, like, good comedians. Genuinely good comedians. But this is a guy who couldn't hack it as a real comedian, so he made up the Raz, so he did the Razzies, and now that's his, his trademark. That's his claim to fame, is making up the Razzies. 
but he's not never been a good comedian or a film, good film critic. He's just a hack, and his and his award show has proven that. So the only way to make the Razzies better is to get better comedians to make up the nominees, make up the categories, make up everything. So yeah, maybe if you get some some film loving comedians, some cinephile comedians to to do this sort of thing, then maybe it'd be better. But for right now, the Razzies are kind of uh, kind of as hacky as the movies that they're making fun of. I I could do without them. Honestly, unless they get, unless they get better, I have no reason to care about them. So yeah, those are the winners this weekend and losers. And yeah, uh, uh, Green Book is by far not the best. Like the Hate You Give wasn't even nominated for anything. Drop out Green Book, put in the Hate You Give. That would make for be- for better nominees. But whatever. Hate You Give got no love, and it deserved all of it. So, yeah. Uh, that's the winners this week, so uh, let's go on to the rest of the categories. First off, with the box office report. And now, the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Alright, looking at the uh, top the the top box office earners uh drop we did have some drop down from a drop down out of the top seven cold pursuit and the upside finally dropped out of the top seven uh run the race the uh other premiere this weekend uh the new release this weekend the one that didn't uh expand uh that only premiered at number 10 so that only made two million dollars but i'm guessing it probably cost that much to make so it's not losing too much um so let's take a look at the top seven as it is Number seven is Happy Death Day to You, which brought in just under $5 million this weekend, bringing its domestic box office up to $21 million and its overall worldwide gross up to $42.5 million. So they definitely have the precedent to make another Happy Death Day, and I have no idea what they even do from here on out. So we'll see what happens. Uh, number six is What Men Want, which brought in $5.2 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $45 million, and its overall gross up to $49.6 million. So yeah, it made back its money, it's doing just fine. It's not as big as a flop as it honestly deserved to be. Uh, no, next up, number five, Isn't It Romantic, brought in $7.5 million, which brings up its domestic total to $33.7 million, and... God, I have to... grab the stuff from wikipedia again yeah isn't it romantic 2019 film box off budget was 31 million so just after two weeks it made back its budget so that means if it can double this within the next couple of weeks it'll have made a profit so at least it won't be a total waste but it's not a massive bomb either so fighting with my family was down in 41 last week now that it's expanded wide it's it's jumped up to number four would brought and it brought in eight million dollars this weekend I'm going to have to compare it to the budget, so give me a second. Let me go pull that back up. All right. Uh, so far, domestically, it's brought in $8.2 million, so it only made $200,000 uh, last weekend, and now it's made up to $8.2 million, and it cost $11 million to make. So if it can hang in there long enough to make make it up to 22 million it'll been somewhat it'll made at least made back its budget and its marketing so it'll would have been a wash and even if it's not a runaway success but it's not a flop either 
So that's good. Uh, dropping down from two to three this weekend is Lego Movie 2, the second part, bringing in $10 million and bringing its domestic gross up to $83.6 million and its overall worldwide gross up to $136 million, which is, I think it's about as much as it costs to make. Let me see. The Lego Movie 2, the second part, cost $99 million to make, so it's made back its budget worldwide, almost made it back domestically. So if it can, you know, keep, it, 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 it's not doing as well as the first movie, and I think people kind of saw that going in. It's, they saw it wasn't going to be quite, this, quite as good, but yeah, we'll see how long it stays in there. And uh, last week's number one, Alita Battle Angel, dropped to number two. Bringing in $12 million this weekend. Bringing its domestic gross up to $60.6 million. And its overall gross up to $263.3 million. Yep, what did I tell you? Once it premiered in China and Japan, it would have see, it, it's going to see an uptick. So, there, we haven't seen all of the, all the results from China and Japan yet. But we, I, I know it opened this weekend in both countries. And that's what that's what brought up the foreign box office up to two hundred million dollars. So that's the, the foreign markets helped help keep this movie from being a complete flop. But yeah, if you haven't yet, do go see Alita: Battle Angel. I think it's it's, a, it's an excellent movie. You know, even with some of its more glaring flaws. And then premiering at number one this weekend is How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World, which opened at fifty eight point fifty eight million dollars, and had had a worldwide opening weekend gross of two hundred and seventy four point nine million dollars, so over a quarter of a billion dollars its opening weekend. It more than made back its budget. In fact, I think it it almost yeah it 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 completely broke even its opening weekend. So good for it, and good so good for the best movie of the year so far. Let's see how see how long the train lasts. And this, hey, if this if that's its opening weekend, this could very well be DreamWorks' highest-grossing movie of all time. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, How to Train Your Dragon did did a, made a made a mint so far, and it's well deserved. So that was the week that was, and now we look to the week ahead in trailer talk. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. Only two wide releases coming out this weekend. Uh, one of them is one that I hope I never have to deal with again. Uh, it's, a fran- it's from a franchise I hope I never have to deal with again. So, uh, and we're going to start with that one. That's going to be the big one this weekend. That's Tyler Perry's A Medea Family Funeral. Let's take a look at that trailer. In times of sadness. Okay, this is a different trailer. I haven't seen this one. We all need words of wisdom. Okay, no, this is the same trailer. Little Red Riding Hood and the Three Bears. She feared no evil because the three little pigs was not around. Hallelujah. 
this spring. How you doing, baby? I'm okay. Well, you look bad. We here because your dad is dead. I'll be coordinating the funeral. I hope y'all can appreciate what I'm going to try to do. And if you need anything, just let us know. I know it's about funerals. I done buried a lot of men. A lot of them. That funeral going to be messed up. Respect the dead. Pray for the living. About to get shot. The church, if you come up here with that boy, I don't mind busting you in your face, or that's Jesus to forgive me. Oh my god, I'm a real thug, I'm an OG, a family funeral. We're sorry, apparently, he was taking some sort of stimulant. We're having some trouble keeping it down. I want to know if he's an organ donor. Hmm. Yeah, that. Like that's a that's a fine enough joke. The whole boner, the whole boner thing, keeping the coffin lid open. But like, I, if you know anything about coffins, that joke doesn't make any sense because why would it like like wouldn't that make more sense for like a lighter coffin? But like we're talking like heavy metal and wood. That that joke doesn't make any sense in that regard. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, it's. I don't know if this will be the worst of the year. This is gonna have to do a lot to top um, what men want uh, to be one of my worst of the year. But I'm just gonna be glad I'm I can be done talking about this franchise because I just I'm not this is I'm not a fan. I'm never gonna be a fan. This is not the franchise for me. So the sooner I can stop talking about it, the better. Uh, anyway, the other one coming out th- this weekend is the uh, horror thriller uh, starring Chloe Grace Moretz. It's Greta. I can't tell if this is supposed to be in the modern day. I think it's supposed to be in the modern day, but it could very well be a period piece. Yep, the reveal that something else is going on. Oh, hey, they're using actual phone numbers. I guess she's been playing back around the city. I was hoping someone brings them back to her. And you did. Oh my god, it's her. Just let it ring. I saw the bags, Greta. And I never want to see you again. This spring. Okay, it is modern because there's an iPhone. Instagram, Facebook. This is not a problem. Public area, the rights are protected. Why are you doing this? How exciting. Hi, I'm Francis, and I'll be your waitress for the evening. No, I can't do this. Are you a child? No, you're the child. You need a mother to hold it. Don't you dare talk to me about my mother. She had to die for us to meet. Are you out of your mind? Look at her. She's full of greeting. She's gone. Everyone needs a friend. <laughs> but we're more than friends. We're connected. 
There's something you need to know about Greta. What? Are you insane? Her game has just begun. Just try to get rid of Greta. Greta. Ooh, yeah. I can't wait for this one. Uh, I hope it's good. I'm not sure about, like, the filmmakers behind it, but I trust Chloe Grace Moretz. I know she's been getting into more uh, indie sort of dramas and whatnot lately. And she's proven herself to be a really solid actress. And uh, this is the uh, English premiere of a uh, French actress who was... I've mentioned her this before. She's in the um, Lars von Trier's last movie, Elizabeth. And, yeah, it's I'm, I'm excited. I really hope that's good. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, so that's what's coming up next weekend. And that's almo- that about does it for this episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by favoriting us on your browser and whitelisting us on your ad blocker. And if you like this show, you should check out all of our other fine programming. We have a brand new Living in the Stacks talking about Fever 1793 out already. Um, you can check out uh, Vanessa's stuff over uh, about the her uh, position at Las Vegas Oddities. Uh, Odd Vegas, all of Donna's cool stuff that's going on. You can check all of that out on GubbyCatNetworks.com. And if you're a podcaster and you want to join our fine podcasting family, you can do so by sending us an email at GubbyCatNetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you and see if you can join our lovely little family. Uh, But if you listen to stuff on the go, you can always find us on your various podcast providers, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio specifically. But and and hopefully pretty soon Podbean I want to expand into and maybe even some uh, video formats. I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm not gonna give too much away, but I am definitely considering uh, uh, going into both YouTube and Twitch at some point this year. So stay tuned for those announcements. Uh, but yeah, when no matter where you find this podcast, you can. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. Uh, you can also do so by sharing us on your various social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the major announcements come from. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at cornjunkiepod. I do munch-alongs there for bad movies in the theaters or for movies that I watch at home. I, I do Twitter talk, uh, trailer talk for uh, uh, Twitter and, uh, with all the new releases uh, over the weekends and you can also find me just interacting with various other film Twitter entities and uh, I'm on Instagram as well at Popcorn Junkie Podcast I'm not as active on there and then I'm on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie you can see all my reactions to the stuff I review over the weekend there you can also uh, check out all the other cool people on Stardust and if you would like to leave your own uh, uh, reactions to movies, TV everything in between uh, so you can do so by joining us on Stardust and having a good time. You sh- we're having fun on Stardust. You should too. And if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, your thoughts on the Oscars, did you see the ceremony? What did you think? Uh, did you? Uh, what do you think of the Razzie nominations? Do you think I'm on the ball? Do you think I'm way off base? Uh, 
what do you you know what were your thoughts on how to train your dragon and fighting with my family and run the race did you have thought did you see the movies did you have your own thoughts you can send all of that to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com and if you if you leave a message if you leave that you give me permission to read the message out loud in either the subject line or on the or in the message I will be, I will do that, and if you would rather keep it anonymous, I can paraphrase, but send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this weekend. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and we're two months into 2019 already. Time is flying faster than I had ever imagined. Really. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. So yeah, that was this week's box office report, and with that, with that done, with 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 the what the what the what, I'm so tired. Like anyway. <laughs>